Greetings, my gamer friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Braincast. I am host Johnny, and today we're going to be delving into the conundrum that is known as IP games. Uh, this time we're doing something a little bit different. We're not exactly going to be reviewing one specific game. What we're going to try and do is cover uh, all of IP games and answer a couple questions that you might have. Uh, including, do IP games have an advantage over regular games? Uh, does mass-producing multiple IP games lead to a breakdown in quality uh, in terms of game design? Does an IP work for your game? Does it? Do you need an IP? Or can it just be some sort of knockoff game? Dinosaur World! Will that hurt your game? Obviously it didn't hurt Dinosaur World. What are some of the pros and cons in dealing with IP games? And these are some of the questions that may get answered depending on if I actually have the answer. Now, with that much suspense on the line, let's go ahead and jump right in. This is going to be uh, a, a bit of a companion piece. We're going to try and focus more on pairing these episodes together. So in the last episode, uh, we talked very briefly about IP games and whether or not they are good or bad without really delving into uh, everything underneath the hood of what makes an IP game. So in this episode, what I'm going to mostly try and focus on is just the process of utilizing IP games for your own game that you are designing or developing. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. You're not here to listen to me talk about crazy random stories, you're here to listen about IP games. So I love to give the people what they want. So one of our first questions that we have is, what is an IP game and why is it a big deal? Uh, honestly, if you've ever walked into a game store, you're going to have a whole bunch of games lined up against the wall and as you go and you look at those games, obviously there's going to be one or two that pop out to you and it's going to be like Star Wars or Marvel or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Uh, this essentially is what an IP game is. IP games are games that are based off existing intellectual property. At least this is how we on this podcast will define IP games. This includes games that are based on books, movies, video games, television shows, etc. Anytime you've seen something like a Harry Potter seen it or a Lord of the Rings flux, those are licensed IP games. Now, something that I think can be quite helpful when it comes to utilizing an IP is that it gives players a sense of returning to that universe that they already like. That brings us to our second main question. Do IP games have an advantage over regular games? I think that at, on the surface level, the answer is yes. Because obviously, you're just attracted to that kind of game. You're just like, ooh, Star Wars, let me see what this is about. Ooh, Marvel, I love Iron Man, let me see what this is about. And it kind of really is enough to draw you in, which is basically what it's mostly trying to focus on. It's mostly trying to focus on just drawing you in and letting you live in that universe for a little bit, depending on the game. So a lot of games do this, especially with IP games. 
it's very rare you see an IP game that uses the IP but doesn't actually use anything in the IP because that would just be crazy. Aside from brand recognition, there's also the familiarity of a product. This is not the first Marvel game I've seen. This won't be the last Marvel game I've seen. And you're also familiar with all of the people that are in this game. You know Iron Man, you know Captain America, you know Wolverine, etc. So there is very little for the player to have to learn when they're already familiar with it. Uh, another positive about uh, IP games having an advantage is that they have a track record. Uh, whether it's a good or a bad track record, they at least has a track record. Some people, they don't like to buy new games on the account that it just might suck. They feel that whenever you see something that has a track record like Star Wars, that it's a lot easier to kind of see the popularity of the game, see which one really takes off, see which one's kind of bad, and it makes it easier to kind of follow along than it does to look up and find a game that is not based off of an already existing IP. Now, that, I feel, is where the positives kind of end, because looking deeper, it's a little bit harder when it comes to games and, the, and popularity. Now, I know you're thinking, you're like, wait a second, you just said that those IP games are popular. Um, they are, in terms of it attracts gamers to the box. It basically gets them to lift the box off the shelf. If you're talking about actual depth of gameplay and mechanics, not so much. That's kind of where the, the IP games kind of falter. Looking at just the last couple of years, some more of the buzzy games that kind of top the list of people that's just like, I have to have this game. You know, you have games like Gloomhaven, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Everdell, Ark Nova, Terraforming Mars, Scythe, My Father's Work more recently. And there are very few IP games that are at the top of the list. One of them is, you know, Marvel Champions, uh, just because it's been pretty popular with the, with the LCG mechanic adding it to the Marvel Universe. And another one is Dune Imperium. And so I appreciate the fact that, you know, with Dune, you can kind of really get into the whole spice mining, betrayal, you know, there's a lot more in-depth to it than just surface level. Let's just slap Marvel on it. Let's just slap that thing. Pretty sure that is Christopher's thing, and I'm trying to keep it alive. I hope it slapped that thing. All right, here we go. Now, you might be wondering why it's not exactly buzzy. Um, to that, I would say the way that the IP games are produced, they're not really looking for in-depth mechanical gameplay. It'll be very rare, if at all, you see a Star Wars game that has the depth and longevity of something like Ark Nova. Although I imagine that would actually be a pretty interesting fusion uh, to try and do something of that effect. But to me, it seems like the people that hold the IPs know exactly what they're trying to do. And what they're trying to do is get more casual gamers into gaming. Not that that's a bad thing. But it can lead to certain problems, especially when you talk about overproducing, you know, it, there, it's starting to lack a certain mechanical depth. Uh, there just might be a, an onslaught of games that is enough to leave gamers with a certain level of fatigue 
where it's just like, oh, this is the 15th Marvel game I've seen in the last two years. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not even going to bother with it anymore because I have like the first seven. So there are pros and cons. And like I said, at first blush, the pros outweigh the cons when it comes in terms of IP games. But looking at it a little bit more, it seems to lose its advantage in terms of longevity of the game. You know, are you going to hold on to this game? Are you going to play this game multiple, multiple times? You know, are you going to have fun every single time? This is where IP games start to lose uh, its advantage. Uh, and that kind of leads us to our next question. Does mass production lead to breakdown in quality uh, in terms of mechanics? And uh, to that, I would say it's not, it's not necessarily a breakdown, but it does limit the producers options when it comes to actually trying to get this game off the ground which is hilarious because it seems like with ips you have enough leeway to where you, sh you should be able to build the game that you want to build but it just doesn't seem i'm not sure if it's just because you know the way that they think over there whenever they're producing ip games i say over there and by over there i mean just kind of like the the people that own the rights to the ip um do they actually see anything more than casual for these particular games. Will we ever see a Star Wars Ark Nova or a Marvel Gloomhaven? You know, are those options that have been entertained by someone, by anyone? That I, I can't answer that because that is that is a question that is beyond that's above my pay grade. So I will say, however, that the real breakdown in quality kind of comes with the fact that if you're looking at a game, mechanically speaking, you probably won't get anything further than a medium to a medium-like range of games. You'll never get a game that's just hard. You'll never really get a game that is time-consuming. You'll never get a game that's really, really in-depth. Now, I say time-consuming. And I don't mean like Imperial Assault or X-Wing, because those are time-consuming. But I feel like they're not time-consuming based on mechanics. I feel like they're just time-consuming uh, because there's just so many things that you have to do. It almost feels kind of fiddly. It is still it still requires strategy and depth. So with that, you know, Star Wars does okay. Um, however, I have seen quite a few products that have not been. Uh, as well thought out as some of those games. Um, I hate to take pot shots, but Harry Potter is one of those examples where it seems like everything is made more for the casual gamer than for a more experienced gamer. Uh, makes me sound like a little bit of a snob. I didn't think I was that much of a snob, but uh, you know, I, I like my Harry Potter games and I like them to have a little bit of depth to them uh and the simple fact is i played a couple harry potter games the last couple that i played were uh, house cup competition and hogwarts battle and i mean i could not get past one playthrough it was interesting to play those games and i enjoyed the flavor of it however it was so easy that it really didn't feel like there was any sort of challenge in these particular games. And obviously with the Harry 
Potter Hogwarts battle game, you know, you're going through years one through seven. But I mean, if I can't even stay focused during year one, what is the point of making year seven like this ultimate awesome level that, you know, is a real challenge to try and get through? If one is so boring that I'm not even going to bother playing with it, that's one of my pet peeves when it comes to games. It's sort of like television shows. You know, oh, get past the first couple episodes or get past the first season, then it starts to get really good. And I'm like, if you're not going to hold my attention for the first couple episodes, then I'm not going to bother trying to force myself to watch this just so I can enjoy it later. It's the same thing with some of the Harry Potter games. I wanted to like these games because one I like deck building another one I love worker placement so a Harry Potter worker placement a Harry Potter deck builder yes please but they were just so boring and lacked any sort of challenge that whenever I was done playing with it I was just like well I guess I did that and I feel like that's one of the things that is a challenge for IP games especially because of the fact that they are trying to gear towards more casual gamers uh, to try and draw in as many people as possible. You know, it is a business, and I understand that. But I do feel like it can hurt franchises, in particular with me, uh, Harry Potter. I am not a fan of the Harry Potter games that have been put out so far. Uh, the last one was recently called Harry Potter, I think, Strike. Uh, it just came out, and it's just a quick die-rolling game. Whenever I saw it, I was like, this looks like a game that they could ju they just slapped on the Harry Potter logo. And you know what? It absolutely was, because I found an original copy of the game called Strike. And it was a fast-paced die-rolling game, which is exactly what they described Harry Potter Strike as. So, not only did they not even bother to really come up with a whole bunch of new mechanics and stuff like that, all they did was really change the dice. At least that's what it looked like to me. I'm not even going to bother trying to pick it up and play it to test it if that's true because I I don't even want to waste the money on that. It could be a good, fantastic game with all these loads of, you know, interesting mechanics. However, based on the last couple games that I've played, I'm really doubtful that that's what's going to happen. But I feel like if they actually put more in-depth mechanics to it, then the quality would go up and it would increase the the track record for the games into a more positive light. Right now, there are three Harry Potter games that are negatives. Unfortunately, it sucks for the Harry Potter franchise because, you know, I'm probably never going to buy another Harry Potter game again. But it is something that is easy to track. And good or bad, that is one of the benefits of IP games. If you are 100% confident and... 100% dedicated to the game, then I believe you can make a game with a successful IP and they both be successful. But I feel like you really have to put in the effort. At least with Fantasy Flight games and the Star Wars franchise, you know, they have put out quite a few games. This was one of those times when I said a glut of games. This was, I was specifically talking about Fantasy Flight games. Uh, I wasn't thrilled with how many Star Wars games they were putting out, just because I felt like the more Star Wars games you were putting out, uh, the weaker the quality of the game was. Instead, I saw something a little bit different. The more games they put out, 
it seems like they were canceling older games and just tinkering with them and then releasing games that were newer games that were based on older mechanics. And it kind of, I kind of felt like there's something iffy about that. You know, there was a Star Wars card game and now there's a Star Wars deck builder game. There was Star Wars X-Wing and then they canceled that and made Star Wars X-Wing 2. I say X-Wing 2, X-Wing 2nd Edition. You know, they had Imperial Assault, and now they have Star Wars Armada. They have Star Wars Rebellion. They have Star Wars Destiny. Actually, I believe they might have canceled Destiny in terms of Star Wars Legion. You know, there's the problem is that there are so many Star Wars games that you do get kind of burned out on it. And that goes back to something I was talking about earlier, where sometimes there are just so many games when it comes to dealing with an IP that you're just like, I don't even want to buy these anymore. Like, I have zero interest in a Star Wars deck building game now because I still have, you know, my older Star Wars games. And I have no desire to invest so much money into another board game, especially when they keep coming out at such a pretty fast pace. Now, of course, this doesn't affect all games. Uh, You know, Marvel... And Star Wars seem to be in a league of their own when it comes to licensing their IP uh, for different things. And some of them are just kind of like, you know, oh, just slap a just slap a Marvel logo on it. You know, I'm looking at you, Marvel Smash Up and Marvel Flux. And, you know, there are times when it just doesn't work. It just really burns out consumers to the point where it's just like, okay, well, that didn't work. So let's go ahead and make something different. And it's still causing problems. Now, this does uh, bring up another point. Does an IP work for your game? You know, maybe you're making a game and you don't even need an IP. This can be kind of tricky because there are two ways of looking at it. One is that I need this IP to work with this game. Or are you going to do it the other way where you make a game and then you can slap an IP on it? It it's filled with a lot of problems, potential landmines. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make a game based off of an existing IP. Prospero Hall is actually one of the few companies that I see that just does it so routinely, and they do it so routinely well. One example is uh, The Rocketeer. Some people will be like, The Rocketeer, what is that? And to that I say, I'm so old! But The Rocketeer was a Disney franchise back in the 90s, and they were able to make a, a board game out of The Rocketeer. It was a dormant IP, and there hasn't really been much going on. I think it was a comic book before the movie, and then it was returned back to a comic book after the movie, but I think that's pretty much it. And so, you know, whenever you see the, the board game, the board game is based off of the movie, by the way. The, whenever you see the, the board game, it is so interesting because it's asymmetric two-player. Each player is controls one side. They're either the good guys or the bad guys. And as the good guy, actually as both, you're trying to get the rocket plans and hide them from your opponent. And your opponent's trying to uncover the rocket plans while trying to get more, I don't want to say victory points, but I'm pretty sure it was victory points. And whoever has the plans, I think, gets a certain amount of points. You also have objectives that you can complete for a certain amount of points. So just having the rocket plans doesn't guarantee you a victory. And all the locations 
are from the movie. All the characters are from the movie. And the artwork on the games are just gorgeous. It reminds me of Villainous whenever they were doing their game. And you could just see the attention to detail. Hilariously, Villainous was also done by Prospero Hall, I believe. The very first Villainous. I think Ravensburger has taken over it now. Going back to does it work for your game and not making a game based on, you know, an IP, obviously the Rocketeer is sort of unique in that way in the fact that the mechanics really function because it's the Rocketeer. You know, Cliff Secord, the character, has ways of gaining rocket pack icons, and the more rocket pack icons, the faster you can move to different locations. You know, Neville Sinclair has an ability to command... Uh, an army of, well, I won't say it just in case. I'm, I'm going to try and avoid spoilers. But there are ways to make a game not necessarily based on the IP, but it can be tweaked for an IP. So I kind of feel like there's a little gray area that you have to live in. Part of the problem is if you make a game based off of an IP and you try and pitch it to them and they say no, you now have a game that you cannot use. You have a game that will require you to just kind of scrap and start over. Obviously, you don't have to do this. You can try and modify it in any particular way to make it more feasible. But that is one of the pitfalls about making a game based off of an IP. Um, you know, making a game based off of the Harry Potter universe is full of you know, dangers because it's like, oh, well, I made this game and, you know, he has all these spells and stuff like that. And the Harry Potter controller, IP controller says no. Then you're like, okay, what do I do with this? You know, the most important thing that you can think about is, are you willing to try and push it to make this game for this IP better? You know, uh, using a, another existing IP that I believe has gone a little bit stagnant, uh, Stargate. You know, is there a way to make a Stargate board game while at the same time, you know, trying to make just a regular game? That way, if they say no to the board game, you can still release a fun board game, just, you know, kind of of a, uh, a knockoff variety. Uh, and that does bring us to uh, our, our next point, you know, IPs versus knockoffs. And... Obviously, the big example I'm going to bring out is Jurassic Park because it just has become so prevalent in my eyes in the past couple of years is the Jurassic Park knockoffs. You know, uh, for a while it was zombies, uh, for a while it was vampires, and now we're kind of in this area where it's dinosaurs, and now it's gotten to a point where I believe people are kind of moving on Pirates are a thing right now, and then I think there's also creatures. Creature games is a is a thing right now. You know, Everdell, Creature Comforts, uh, Cascadia, Ark Nova, those kind of things. And the biggest takeaway that I saw was that there was a contest where there it was just a small publisher contest, and they were trying to do a, a game about dinosaurs, and they said one of the first rules is that it cannot be dinosaurs and just in a new setting. So, like, you can't have, like, dinosaur Star Wars. 
And then the other one was it can't be based on a park, a.k.a. Jurassic Park. And that, to me, really hit the fact that there are so many knockoffs for Jurassic Park. You know, is that a good thing or a bad thing for your game? Looking at Pandasaurus games, you know, one of their biggest hits was Dinosaur Island. I'm pretty sure it's Dinosaur Island. It was either Dinosaur Island or Dinosaur World. I keep confusing those two. And what it was was essentially Jurassic Park, the board game. You know, you have uh, a company and you're trying to build uh, dinosaurs and then you're trying to put them in the park. You're trying to attract people. You're trying to avoid those people getting eaten. Obviously, you can't. Uh, well, you can, but it'll cost you money because people like to shell out money to see the predators. So there are, and there have also been a couple games uh, as well that were based loosely on that theme, like Tiny Epic Dinosaurs is another example. And a knockoff doesn't necessarily hurt your chances. Uh, in fact, it can be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, especially if you can do it right. But therein lies the problem. You have to do it right. And I feel like it can be done right. It just depends on how you want to go forward with it. Sometimes you are just really wanting to, you know, do a Jurassic Park game. In which case, you know, you talk to the people who control the IP for Jurassic Park and you say, hey, I have this game. Uh, I mean, just look at it recently. I think they just came out with a legacy game called Legacy of Elon Nublar. And, you know, it took them a little while, but I mean, it is a Jurassic Park-based game. There's also been one or two other Jurassic Park, I think, IP games uh, out there. And so, you know, they haven't been exactly slouches. They've been trying to make games as well. But that doesn't really seem like that's geared towards the non-casual gamers. Uh, the first one that I feel like is geared towards non-casual gamers is the Legacy of Elon Nublar. Uh, and there was a lot of buzz about that when it first came out because, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was a knockoff. It was Jurassic Park. And it wasn't a casual game. When I say casual game, I mean a light game. It wasn't a light game. It was, it was designed for, for gamers. And so there was actually quite a bit of buzz around it whenever it first uh, was announced. And I feel like that is a major plus because it's not like it's not like they haven't been putting out game games for casual gamers. Um, I believe that's more in line with the other ones that they've released. But this one feels like it's got more depth to it, which I am a huge fan of. Which is why I was kind of uh, jazzed about it, and you know I'm keeping an eye on it uh, for when it drops. And I don't believe it's dropped yet, but I believe it's coming out relatively soon, as of this recording. Again, going back to, do you need to have a knockoff for this game uh, that you are trying to do? Um, I don't think so. But like I said, if you do it and it's like in tongue-in-cheek fashion, or if it's uh, just enough to where it's just like, man, this feels like uh, a different kind of game that that I'm used to, but it's still based on something that I also sort of like. You know, sometimes you can get away with that. I feel like Sentinels of the Multiverse is a game that kind of followed that sort of pattern where they were kind of mimicking Marvel and DC games uh, into uh, another deck building game. Except this time, all the characters are really from, you know, a pulpy 1980s, 1950s to 1980s kind of Silver Age comics. And, and it works for them. I mean, they're still making expansions today, and I believe it was released in 2011, 2012. 
So, you know, 10 years later, they're still releasing expansions for it, which I, I completely respect. I think that's a that's a good move. Um, so knockoffs can draw success and can help you grow, especially if you, you know, you're a fledgling company. Uh, don't feel like you have to rely on the success of an IP and getting an IP in order to make your game a success. If you want to make a Stargate Knit game, you know, obviously you can make a Stargate game, but if they say no, well, you could always try and do it as a knockoff and, you know, call it like uh, the show that they had, the Wormhole Extreme, you know, because I believe that was a spoof on the actual show. And so if you wanted to do a spoof of the show that was on the show, you know, that might be tongue in cheek enough to where it could be like, ah, that's hilarious. However, if it's not tongue-in-cheek enough, if it's just straight a blatant ripoff, you may open yourself up to legal action. So just keep that in mind whenever you're trying to do an IP uh, knockoff game. I'm not, I can't for sure say whether people will or will not, you know, try and threaten legal action. But if they're, sometimes, you know, people are very, very, controlling of what they can and cannot do with a certain IP. You know, doing a Star Wars knockoff or doing a Marvel knockoff, you know, might lead to some potential problems. Not saying that you can't get past it. I'm just saying these are the things to keep in mind whenever you're trying to really focus on that. So, kind of let's let's take a let's take a step back and look at all the stuff that we've kind of covered, you know. Just some of the basics, you know, IP games, they do have an advantage, but it's only at first, you know, once you start getting into the meat and potatoes of the actual game, that's kind of where it loses its advantage and where you as the designer really have to shine in order to make the game even like more excellent than people expect it to be. Um, mass producing is not the end of the world. It doesn't signify a loss of quality. Um, but it can really stretch a gamer's sense of, I want to buy this. Uh, you can't really have a fear of missing out if you put out a Star Wars game once every quarter, you know? So, does it work for your game? Does IP licensing work for your game? That's, that's something only you can decide whenever you're actually designing the game. You know, going back to Stargate, if it's a wormhole game... You know, maybe you can try and package it as Stargate first, and then if they say no, then just package it as a separate wormhole game. I believe there's a game called Wormholes that's coming out, which looks very, very interesting. Of course, it's, you know, based on a completely different idea. But, you know, the the ideas are there. The, the game concepts are there. So don't think that just because it's based on IP, you can't do it. Just but be sure that you have a backup whenever... And just in case, uh, they say no. Uh, knockoffs are not the end of the world, but they have to be done right. Ultimately, tying it back to the other episode, are IPs too big to fail? That is a good question, because some IPs, they just won't go away. You know, Christopher was using the example of Lord of the Rings. I was using the example of Harry Potter uh, and Star Wars, I believe, those games still draw enough interest to where people want to see them done. The question becomes, 
if you put out enough games and if those games are just subpar quality, will it kill the IP? I don't think so, but they may take a break. They may, they may reduce the number of games getting put out. Uh, they may try and look at why they haven't been as successful in the past couple of iterations of games that they've put out. And I feel like that is probably a good thing. So if you're getting, you know, Marvel fatigue, Star Wars fatigue, or Star Trek fatigue, just take a break on buying those games. If you keep snatching them up, it's only going to encourage them to keep putting out game after game after game after game. I don't think that they will fail because sometimes the property is just too big. You know, Marvel and Star Wars are obviously the easiest ones to latch onto because those are basically the ones that dominate the world right now. Uh, Star Trek, it's doing its best, but because of the stumbling of the movies, some stumbling with some of the TV shows, you know, it's not nearly as successful as the Star Wars franchise, I feel. So, but if you notice, it has led to a slower pace for board games. They're not as secure in the knowledge that people are just going to snatch these right up. They're going to be like, ooh, Star Trek, and just pull it right off the shelf. Uh, a lot of the Star Trek games that I've seen recently are mostly skinned games like Star Trek Catan or uh, Star Trek, oh geez, or something else, but I can't think of it for the life of me. And I think the only real original Star Wars, Star Trek game that I saw recently is, I think, Star Trek Five-Year Mission, uh, where, you know, it's like you're playing cards in order to complete missions. Um, so it wasn't anything too crazy. It, 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 it seemed okay, but it just wasn't really my cup of tea because it was uh, based on the original series and, you know, that wasn't my favorite series. There may be a cooling off period, but I don't think that they themselves will fail. I haven't really seen a IP fail. I've seen an IP take a break, but I haven't really seen them fail. It may take a little bit, but usually all it takes is one game to get it back in the game. One game and you're just like, oh man, this is really, really cool. And, you know, once you get that, that boost of sales, then you're like, okay, I can, I can kind of start getting back into this. So as a designer, it's up to us to really focus on how we try and successfully put that game out. We want to be that game. We want to be like Prospero Hall where they do a good franchise and then all of a sudden you're just like, yes, how did I, how did the, how's this not been a game before? I mean, if you can, you know, successfully make the Goonies a good franchise or Jaws or something like that. I mean, if they can do Jaws 2 and 3 in successful board game mode, I will be very impressed. Um, of course, I, you know, I say that with a bit of tomfoolery because I really don't want them to try and take a crack at it and dent their reputation on Jaws 2 and Jaws 3. I'm sorry, Jaws 3D. So, um, yeah, nope, Prospero Hall, what you're doing right now, totally fine. Don't change a thing. IPs don't die. They just go dormant until a game is able to revive them in, in a spectacular fashion. If you are looking to do an IP, you might want to look at an IP of a project that isn't really active. 
So maybe take a look and see if there's a franchise that's been dormant for a while. See if you can successfully revive it with a way uh, to, you know, do something abstract uh, abstract with, with the new franchise. Look at it in a way that, you know, is unusual. Like if you wanted to do something like a Harry Potter game, you know, obviously the first thing you're going to think of is, you know, look at it from the perspective of the students. Or you can try and look at it from the perspective of the teachers. You can try and look at it from the perspective of the ghosts that wander the hall. You know, there's so many ways you can look at it that is beyond what most people look at. And I believe that's one of the ways to successfully bring about uh, a good IP uh, revival. And this is one of those things that I really think you guys need to really focus on whenever you are designing these games. And that is that it is a game first. Always remember that. Game first, then if you want to slap that thing on there, slap that IP on there. Go ahead, get crazy, take a chance, and then, you know, if they say no, boom, I still have a backup game ready to go. Uh, I think that'll just about do it for me this time. So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and sign off. I hope this has been informative to you. I hope you enjoyed having a listen. I hope this was something you did like while you were driving, so there was no great loss. Hopefully I didn't put you to sleep, especially while you're driving. Hopefully we were able to both learn something about using IPs in in particular with gaming and how they can both be positive and negative. So without further ado, I have been Host Johnny. If you like the content, please feel free to rate us. I believe uh, five stars is the... I think that's like saying this, you liked it, you liked it, you're just like, I had fun, I had a good time. So go ahead and, uh, you know, leave a review, send us a comment via email, sign up for our newsletter, see what the next episode of the podcast is going to be. We'll start trying to focus on little previews so you can get an idea of what it is that we're going to be doing, both in podcast and game development form. So always something interesting to read. Plus, you also get, I think, a couple behind the scenes of how we design games. With all that being said, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day as you are listening to this. And happy gaming!